1: Virginia Woolf, in her book, A Room of One's Own, writes, When, however, one reads of a witch being ducked, of a woman possessed by devils, of a wise woman selling herbs, or even of a very remarkable man who had a mother, then I think we are on the track of a lost novelist a suppressed poet, of some mute and inglorious Jane Austen, some Emily Bronte who dashed her brains out on the moor or mopped and mowed about the highways, crazed with the torture that her gift had put to her. Indeed, I would venture to guess that anon, who wrote so many poems without signing them, was often a woman. Hello and welcome to Just Make The Thing, a podcast for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it. I'm your host, Claire Tonti, and today I have a special treat for you. Gemily is a fine artist and director born on the Isle of Mull, a remote wild island off the coast of West Scotland. She immigrated to Australia at the age of 20 and went on to study film at the Victorian College of the Arts. Gemma's work is known for its breathtaking imagery, and her background in art has given her a finely trained eye. She has made her mark as a highly skilled commercial and music video director, and has also received numerous awards and nominations for her work, including the short film The Wake, starring Angus Sampson. Gemma is currently working on her first feature film with her husband Charlie Clawson, and she joined me in the pod studio today. Okay, off we go. Thank you so much, Gemma Lee, for coming over. Well, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And so this is your second podcast. Second ever podcast. Wow. And the first one you did with Charlie, (laughs) of course, your husband. I did.
2: um, Probably, oh, a couple of years ago now. So, yeah, it's interesting um, because obviously podcasting is getting much more popular. Mm. I think um, a lot of my friends now have their favourite podcasts that they listen to, people are recommending them. You know, it's certainly, it's like when you used to swap albums.
1: Yeah, it is, right, Mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, or books or Mm. films. It's just another platform that's sort of become mainstream. Mm. I think it's very audio though and you're a visual Mm -hmm. person. Mm. I wanted to start by asking you why you create stuff. When did it start for you?
2: I, I actually don't remember a time when I wasn't creating something. Um, I was pretty lucky. My parents were both artists, so art practice was something that was just part of our daily routine at home. So for me, I was drawing before I could speak. I actually didn't speak until I was three and a bit. Wow. Yeah, my parents actually took me to a doctor. They were concerned that there might be uh, some sort of issue, but the doctor just assured them that I'd speak when I was ready. And they he asked my mum, could I communicate Was I able to get what I wanted? And she said, yes, because I just grunted and pointed at things, apparently. (laughs) Um, And he said, well, she can communicate, then, you know, she'll speak when she's ready. But by that point, I was already drawing. Mm. Um, So I grew up in a a very isolated area. It's an island in Scotland. Mm. Um, And we didn't have a television. So I think I attribute a lot of that to sort of what became the kind of foundation of how I kind of just... Approach life, and for me, it was just always making things. So, mm. so were your parents? They were fine artists as well. Yeah, yeah. My mum's a writer. Um, my father's a photographer. They met working on a newspaper. She was a journalist, and he was a photojournalist. And then they kind of pursued a more a less conventional lifestyle. They lived self-sufficiently and wanted to live as artists, but it was a struggle, an absolute struggle. So, I think part of my own journey with being a creative person has been the fear of the sacrifice sacrifices you make to live a sort of full-time artistic existence. Yeah. That, I mean, it does exist for people. And I know people now who've, who've made careers out of it. But for me, it always felt there was a divide between creativity and freedom of being an artist and commerce and making money and having mm-hmm. constant or reliable revenue. So... I got scared, I think, at that point, and gravitated more towards commercial mm-hmm. um, work, and I became a graphic designer after art school, and then have sort of forged my way into filmmaking, which
1: <laughs> is another <laughs> kettle of fish altogether. Yeah. And yeah, so I wanted to ask you about your commercial work. Cause I know there's that struggle when you're trying to create something that you believe in and are really proud of but also get paid. Yeah. So have you been able to find creative freedom working in kind of music videos or advertising or how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's it's a different kind of creativity. I really enjoy working for a client or working to a brief because I think there's great satisfaction in trying to interpret what people need who aren't maybe visual or don't have the experience I do and giving them something that sort of works for them in marketing or you know if they've got a concept and they don't know how to execute it and I can so this i find that quite fulfilling mm. i sort of enjoy the challenge as well i love ideas i love coming up with ideas and so when someone has a problem my brain starts working straight away and i start getting flashes of imagery and things that that side of me kind of comes quite easily so to being paid to do that and being able to do that as my day-to-day is amazing. And I never thought it was going to be possible mm. to be actually fulfilled um, creatively and have an income that supports me. There's a real distinction in my brain between commercial making and my filmmaking. So commercials, music videos, I'm working for a client. My job is to do a really good job for them and bring, hopefully bring something even better than they were expected to it. But I'm very willing to yield and to compromise or collaborate when I need to, mm. um, because I'm respectful of you know why I've been hired, mm. and I think it's quite egotistical or and i I know some directors who get very upset if they feel like they're being compromised creatively, but that's commercials, and if you're not willing to be a team player, then you know you shouldn't be making commercials because really it's a very you know you're part of a team mm. with filmmaking, I see that much more this stage of my career, (laughs) much more like my art, whereas I want it to be my point of view and I want to be the decision maker and I want to be the one who sort of says when it's done, you know, not have to compromise as much. I don't have a client. You know, when I make commercials, I have sometimes up to 15 people sitting around a monitor watching what I do and Mm. I have to go back and speak to them and um, make sure everyone's happy and take notes for them and make adjustments before I can move on. Mm. I was making film, when I'm making it for myself, I don't have any of that. So it's a really freeing feeling. Yeah. But in, and again, it's almost scary again, because at least when you have an audience who are, come to a consensus that we're done and we can move on, you start relying on them a lot more than probably your own personal judgment. Because mm. you're like, okay, they're happy, good, we can move on. And when you're making film for yourself and you don't have that sort of
1: reassurance from
0: anyone
2: else.
1: Yeah, yeah, you've just got to go with your gut. Instinct and mm. what you say. Well, you
2: interestingly, uh, I don't know. Do you do this? Do you take a, a, a? Do you start each year
1: with a sort of like a mantra or a, a goal? Mantra, that's the word. I do actually. I do. Yeah. yeah. What's yours? Have you got one for this year? Well, this year was about trusting my gut. Mm. Last
2: year was moving forward fearlessly. I was just going to say yes to everything. I wasn't going to. I was trying not to just be a, uh, hold my back myself back through fear. And then this year was trusting my gut because I find that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing to do. Like everyone will offer you an opinion and I'm getting better now at not asking because Mm -hmm. you have to be very careful, especially with your creative work. Because if you ask for an opinion, sometimes people will just give you you an opinion in the moment. They haven't really thought about it. They feel like they should say something, so they'll just pick something. And whether that's going to be helpful to you or not, you know, in our industry it's really important to have mentors. Um, As a creative person, it's really important to reach out to people or, be able to have access to people who have not only been through similar experiences trying to get projects made or you know can offer you some words of wisdom but also who understand how vulnerable and <laughs> and
1: yeah you know,
2: terrifying it can be to share your creativity you know especially if it's something that you've been laboring over, so you're trusting your gut, you always need to quieten every all the noise around you and even your own inner critic mm. and just see what you know you instinctively feel like. You're drawn to or, or the decisions you want to make, and because we're so overwhelmed with great content now, like amazing, you know, there's something amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching amazing television, you know, and I'm like, wow, how am I ever going to make that? And you know, or, you know, great podcasts or mm. whatever, and it's just like it can feel really daunting to start, be trying to start, mm. make make your start in an in industry, and you can get very easily influenced, you know, or even sort of be fearful of making bold or unique decisions because that's not what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And I think about, actually thinking about it now, going back to being that child who was isolated, you know, in a Mm. little stone cottage in Scotland. Yeah. And the freedom I had there, I didn't care what anyone was going to think of my drawings. Up until I went to art school, I had very little awareness of an audience. Mm. I was just making it because that's what I did and I loved it and it was my form Mm. of communication. And at art school, they taught you to critique your work and they taught you, taught you to critique other work, which is helpful, but it also becomes, it sort of feeds that inner critic, you know, mm. where you're like, oh, I could do this, but, you know, what's it saying? And is it going to, you know, be a true representation of myself, which you don't know
1: until you know, you know,
2: are deep into it.
1: It's so true. Have you got a uh, really sort of, big inner critic, like a complex sort of mean one? or (laughs) Show me your inner critic. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because I think some people don't have any inner critic at all. They seem to swing through the world and not be self-analytical. And then I know other people, myself included, almost have like another person who's just constantly being like, that's not good enough. Mm.
2: What's your your experience with that? Probably less so now. I did feel, I felt like that um, when I was at art school and I think, it felt foreign to me. It felt like it was something I had um, inherited through that experience. Back me up on this, but I'm a great believer in just doing. Like I just don't want to spend too much time debating or thinking or analysing. I just do. And sometimes then I reflect on it and go, mm, maybe it would have been better to put a little bit more work in. <laughs> <laughs> Plan a bit
1: or Plan something. Yeah. Yeah. That's why
2: he's the producer. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the inner critic to me it, it isn't really a, b- a big hurdle for me. Mm -hmm. Um, My biggest hurdle is is an industry, I'm coming into an industry that's incredibly difficult. It's a challenging industry, film industry, you know, especially now. So I think where I get fearful is letting myself down in, in circumstances where perhaps, you know, if I was a guy or if I'd sort of pushed a little harder to make more short films after I finished film school, and perhaps I would be having more opportunity now. So it's mm. not really a critic of judging myself day to day. It's more <laughs> reflecting on maybe the opportunities. I, I'm, I could have made mm. more, more of an opportunity. Yeah.
1: Yeah, what do you mean by if I was a guy? Well, you know, that's a loaded. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, um, but I find that really interesting because I kind of know exactly what you mean in a way.
2: I think when I started, it's a very different conversation now and it's very topical now. And, you know, I, when I started as a filmmaker 10 years ago, there was very few female directors in the industry. In fact, I I was interested in making film from the age of 20 when. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me another five years to pluck up the courage to tell anyone. Mm. Um, and it was when I met a director, a good friend of ours, Greg McLean, who made Wolf Creek. He was the one who sort of said, oh, it sounds like you want to direct. And in my mind, I hadn't allowed myself to even imagine that was a possibility because I didn't think women directed films. I had a, and I didn't realise this. It was like an unconscious thing. I just had this image of men with beards, wielding scripts you know old men who were like you know I had this vision of what I thought a director was going to was was and I didn't think I
1: I fit into that
2: yeah yeah so um it stopped me for a long time and then I met Greg and he said you should play to film school and I went to film school and I noticed while I was at film school because I'm very I'm quite technical and good with my hands straight away I was like I wanted to pick up the camera and I wanted to shoot things and I started shooting other students projects but I noticed a lot of the women didn't a lot of the other female students they would sit back and they would take notes and I was one of the few that was sort of quite in my year it could have been different in other years but yeah. I was kind of more willing to kind of get in there and push my way to the front to get you know mm. my time with the camera and stuff and and then since then at every stage of my career I've been reminded at some point about my gender and sometimes it's in a positive way, or it's really nice to work with a female director, or it's the first time I've worked with a female director. Or in when I was starting advertising, it was very tokenistic. Production companies like to have one female director on their books. It was only ever one. And it was in case they get a script, you know, with babies in it, or with fashion, or something that women do and tampons. Tampons, exactly. <laughs> Nappies and tampons. I was all I would. I always say I've had had more cars than I've had kids. So give me a car ad, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I've I've I definitely it's definitely was an influence on on me and probably the opportunities mm. I got. I was definitely turned away from a few production companies because of my gender. Um. Mm. You know, I would have taken it on the chin if they'd just said, "Look, we don't think your reels there yet. You know, mm. or it's not you're not a good credibly a good fit for the roster." But on both occasions from two, I won't name who they are, mm-hmm. of the biggest production companies, my gender was used both times. Wow. One was, we don't really see uh, there's enough work for women. You'll be struggling. We had a woman once, didn't really work out. And then the other one was, well, we already have a female director. Yeah, you guys would be competing. And then I had a very, very uncomfortable experience with a production company um, that I was repped with where they actually used my gender to try and as clickbait on a commercial. So it's def- definitely been something I've kind of been made to be aware of. More recently, it's become maybe uh, somewhat of a buzzword, you know, female directors mm. kind of like, oh, it's cool to have a female director pitch. Yeah. Now we're all, it's really interesting because there's a new wave of creatives coming through the industry. There's younger people, you know, taking those creative positions. There's a lot more women, creative teams that are women as well. So I think naturally just through that it's changing. Then there's free the bid, which I'm part of in Australia, which is started in the States and it was about uh, the way it works is you have three directors pitch on a job. So a brief goes out, production companies submit directors that would be right for the job, or the agency contacts the production company and it asks, you know, for, for a director. And three directors are chosen to do a competitive pitch now, free the bid in in the states um incentivize agencies to allow at least one woman to be part of that process, so you may have two male directors and one female mm. and the idea was you know, you have to give women the opportunity to create the work to get enough work on their reels to then you know mm. be employed and that's been quite effective in the states and um it's just been launched here. I'm actually talking at an event in a couple of weeks where um, about this and and it's I feel like Australia is quite far behind in that respect. Certainly my experiences have been, mm. you know, representative of that. And it's real time timely. It's happening now, especially with, you know, the Me Too movement and gender mm. equality awareness and is that, you know, we do open make sure we're making concerted concerted effort to get women into the industry and give them the opportunity to work because, you know, it has been very very male dominated. Yeah.
1: I find it what struck me just listening to you talk then, I wonder whether the way that you were raised because it, you lived on the Isle of Mull, mm. right, which is mm. like in Scotland but yep. even isolated for Scotland. Yep. Is that right? So if you were raised in this sort of artist household and it was quite isolated, you're not kind of brought up maybe in the same way that some women are, in mm. you know, a in a broader kind of community yep. or something. with. Yep that kind of expectation of women will sit back and gender take roles, notes, yeah. gender roles. Would mm. you agree with that? Do yeah. you think you were brought up differently? Yeah, I, I would think that's probably a big factor. You know, I,
2: I think my parents, my dad always, you know, he put camera in my hand at a really young age and we had computers mm. and so I was never treated differently than my two brothers. You know, there wasn't really a sense of gender roles. My mom's a very strong creative person herself, identity herself, so... Yeah, but I think it's also a conscious thing as well. You know, I never – it's interesting because sometimes they ask – I've been asked, you know, what's it – well, what's it like being a female director? And you're. It's a really <laughs> bizarre thing to be asked because you're like, well, I don't know what it's like being a male director. I mean, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's well, like saying, well, you can't be another – you can't have two female directors in one company. It's like, well, why can you have ten men – because we're all just humans. Exactly. We? I
2: mean, I long for the day when you're just called a director. Like, at the moment, I'm always female. I'm like, doesn't this take care of it? <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, take one look at me. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm just a director. You know, I'm not a female director, I'm a director. I mean, I think it's also cool to own it and be proud of the fact that, you know, you're a minority and, you mm. know, that you offer something, a point of difference. I think that's cool. But I also think that, you know, the whole tags. It's just another way of kind of putting you in a box, you know. Mm. And that's why, I mean, Charlie, I've been working really hard on our screenplay. It was a very concerted effort, very conscious effort, because I wanted to make a genre film because I felt that the easiest thing for me to do would be to try and make a a drama. And We did, after a film score, made a, a drama called The Wake that did well at festivals. And we were looking at maybe making that into a feature film. But I was like, but that's not really the films I enjoy. I do enjoy dramas. I love a good drama. But I, lo- I grew up watching horror films and action films in the eighties, and my you know my favourite films were you know Total Recall and Pet Cemetery and you know <laughs> Die Hard or something. Yeah, or ET, or you know like yeah. I loved um, action adventure, and I loved genre. And I was like, I, well, that's my point of view. I want to make I want to make a film in that you know genre, and. I'd sort of become aware of Catherine Bigelow at that point because she, you know, she made um a few genre films before then she went on to make The Hurt Locker and, you know, mm. Oscar winning films. But yeah. her first films, her first film Near Dark, I was like, "Well, that's cool. Like she's a female director and you can't tell by her work. She made Point Break, you know. You can't tell by her work her gender and that it made me really excited because I, suddenly it was like, well, that means that I'm not going to be pigeonholed and I'm not going to be limited. Mm. So we set out to make a film that was a genre film that had action in it because I enjoy that kind of work. But I also wanted the opportunity to try my hand at it and have that experience. So Mm. um, with making music videos and um, that was my training ground. So we did a music video for a Victorian band, Stonefield. And
1: uh, the Sisters, four girls, great band. Mm, They're awesome. They won Triple J um, on Earth, didn't they? They may, think, have. Yeah, yeah, they may have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, I, yeah, they're great, and kind of rock out, like play yeah, they sound drums. like Led Zeppelin, yeah, yeah, really cool. They're very, very smugger. cool.
2: And they they came to us and they had a pretty modest budget, and they wanted to make a music video. And we, I wanted to do some car stunts, and I thought it'd be really cool to put them in into a kind of a grindhouse kind of video where they're driving cars around, playing games of chicken, smashing them up, and we ended up with a we did a car flip, car roll. Ah, oh, so cool. and it's a cool it's a cool clip, and they look great, and it was really fun to shoot and it was I worked with some stunties that we knew who they we filmed it all up at their property and their safety officers as well. so it was mm-hmm. all done really safely and done really well. and um it's cool. And I was like, "I love doing this, And it was my opportunity to try my hand at it so that when we have action sequences in our film, I've had the experience of working with stunt guys and know mm-hmm. how team works as well. So
1: because mm. so, the film you're talking about now is Blackwood, yep. right? So Charlie has written a script. Yes. Um, and he's written, I saw he also wrote The Wake yep. about his father's funeral. Yep. yep. Right? And then yep. so you directed, so you're sort of a writer-director. We're a team. Team. Yep. Yeah, a team. Like, like me and my husband James. Yeah. The same. Yeah. All in the mix. Yeah. Where are you at now with Blackwood and what's the journey been like so far with that film? Um, well, I think I read somewhere that...
2: And I'm gonna get this wrong, but I'll get the essence of it, is that the people who are happiest have a long-term personal goal that they're working towards that's outside their family or friends. It's just something personal,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: so it could be writing a novel or making a film or, you know, traveling or something that, you know, mm-hmm. they're working towards and you chip away at it and it's just you or yours. And I feel like that about our film is that, you know, our friends, in the time that we've been making the film, have had kids grow up be born, grow up and go to school. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and they bought houses and people have different priorities. We've just been trying to make this film like it's the longest pregnancy ever. <laughs> but I wouldn't change, change it. I've loved it. It's been difficult at times and we've had to learn so much about the business side of film, probably like you guys, mm. you know, in your industry. And we've had to learn how to be better writers. I mean, Charlie's definitely done the majority of the writing, but... Most of it's come from both of us sitting down and workshopping ideas, doing read-throughs with actors, watching other films and talking about them and analysing them, and then working with mentors along the way. So it's you kind of learn some fundamental lessons about life, psychology. You know, you're creating characters from the inside out. You've got to learn about the history of storytelling in a sense because it influences how we make films now, especially the hero's journey. And so you go on this journey yourself, your own hero's journey, you know? Yeah. I was My analogy is always like you walk, it's like you're in a room with all the lights turned off and you're just bumping into furniture and then slowly by surely you turn more and more lights on and then you can see your obstacles around you. And that's how it felt like with us. When we got into it, we were very um, naive and we were just like, yeah, we're just going to make movies. And <laughs> we had a friend who made films. Well, I are just going to do that. And then we realised how difficult it is, especially we came, I came out of sc- uh, film school and the GFC hit, and then it was very hard to raising finance in Australia. And the first iteration of the script was very different to where it is now. It's a lot more kind of like a creature film and not as well crafted, but we didn't know that at the time because it was the best we could do at the time. So we've learned along the way to be better practitioners, I think. Um mm-hmm. we've had some support from Screen Australia and development as well. And now we're at a stage where we touchwood um, we'll be making it soon um, so there's a few more rounds mm. things we have to go through but you know we've got a great team we've got a great really refined polished screenplay and we've got um, you know some great market
1: partners so yeah and know. some actors some great actors too oh, who yeah. have you got on board? Oh, I don't know if I can say. <gasps> oh, okay. Well, I won't okay, I won't ask well that it's exciting. But very tell you talented. what, I
2: promise you this that very soon if we are successful
1: in the next round of funding, I'll come back and talk about it okay. in more more depth. <laughs> Done. Okay, excellent. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember you were saying before while we were eating lunch out in the garden that it's there's so many pieces that go into a film and if one piece falls over like an actor pulls out or yep. some piece of funding then the rest of it Yeah, it's like a house of cards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: and look, it's. I take heart from hearing other people's stories. You know, we felt like, you know, you always feel like you're going through these unique circumstances on your own and then you speak to someone else and they're like, oh, my God, you know, we got – we went through the same thing. We had such and such attached. They fell, fell off the project. We lost our finance. It took us three years to raise money again. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm really sorry to hear this, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, You're making me
1: feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the only one that's had all yeah. of this fall apart. What keeps you going? What keeps you motivated to really get this thing off the ground?
2: I love being on set. I absolutely love it. I, I It's the only thing I'll get up in the morning for. And quite often, because I shoot a lot in locations, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning for it. Wow. It's the only thing in the world that, that makes me excited, you know. Um, I love the collaboration with um, other creatives, you know, whether it's your art director or today I was doing a sound mix on my new short film. And sitting in the, you know, with the sound designer, I love, you get a real buzz. It's like being in a band, you know. You get a real mm. buzz jamming with other people. And I love that. Energy. I love ideas. I love um, feeling that that sort of idea grow and nurturing it and the creation. It's the creation of it. And then um, the idea of having a career in an industry that I would I would feel very lucky to be part of and uh, excited to to do my job. So, I mean, for me, before I was a filmmaker, I didn't really ever enjoy working. Like I, I enjoyed I was busy, but the idea of having to go to a job and have a boss, an employer. I was just not very good at it. I just wasn't. So, you know, this is – I feel like I'm good at this, so I enjoy it and I want to keep doing it.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing thing to be able to say. I think often people struggle with just finding what it is that mm. lights them up, you mm. know, because once you know that, it's so much easier to pursue it. But a lot of people just sort of are sleepwalking through things because they haven't You've nailed got to that you just be yet. prepared to make mistakes.
2: Like I did not know I was going to be a director, I did I changed my job probably every year or two. I was a lighting designer and then I was a graphic designer and then so they're always in creative fields, you mm, know. And, and
1: visual it sounds like Yeah, but I worked
2: for a bit in fashion and you know I did a bit of work in marketing and you know I could never really find, I never really found anything that gelled. But I, I just changed it. I was like, okay, well that didn't work. What next? You know. And mm. Charlie would laugh at me. He's like, one day you know you're like you want to build websites and the next day you're like I'm going to you know print do t-shirt prints, you know. But I was just willing to kind of keep trying things till I found something that I like doing mm. enough to keep doing it. But what the interesting thing I found, and this is often what I sort of, if people ask me, you know, to give them advice about getting into film, it's actually really beneficial if you do a bunch of other stuff first. Oh, because great advice. all of these other skills you'll gain are really, really helpful because um, now I sit and boardrooms with, you know, account executives and we have to talk about um, executing a commercial campaign. And I'm able to do that because I worked for a little while in marketing and I'm comfortable in that environment, you know, and then various other, you know, uh, experiences I've had kind of like draw on. Mm, Like Um, nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. No. And, you know, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, I mean, look, I, I don't have a responsibility of having a family yet. So it's easier there to, to say, look, you know, I'm just going to stop doing that. I'm going to do something else, you know. Mm. But I also think that, you know, we get sort of stuck into the idea of, well, I don't, we get stuck by the feeling of, I don't know what I want to do, so I might as well just do this. And I think that's a, a somewhat dangerous kind of place to be because in actual fact, until you try something, you don't know, you know, whether you're, mm. you're going to be good at it, whether you're going to enjoy it. And I worked with this writing lecturer. He was an NYU lecturer. And he said to me, no idea starts off as great. He said, it becomes good because of the work you put into it. So, you know, you have to be prepared. And I think this is what I learned from art. And Charlie and I have this discussion over and over again when he gets frustrated with his writing. And I'm like, when we studied art, we learned to make a mark all over the canvas. So you you cover the canvas, so you're not looking at the blank canvas. And then you just chip away at it. You just draw and you make marks and you make marks until, you know, something forms. And I think that's the idea is that you just keep chipping away at what you're doing, you know, and you keep making your marks and then you stand back and there's a picture there, you know. And the, even if the picture's not correct, you know, even if you meant you were set out to draw a vase and it looks like a potato.
1: <laughs> that is definitely what would happen
2: to me. <laughs> it's your sure. potato. And, you know, no one else could make that, you know, like you could. So I, mean, I think some of the best work, whether it's film or music or, Art is not the perfect work. And if you look at amazing artists like Van Gogh or Klimt or, Mm. you know, these masters, they start off really formal, their formal training, and then later in their life they draw like children. Mm. Um, And the reason they do it is because to draw like a child is free and it's pure and it's you and it's, you know, unbridled.
1: Mm. Um, And you almost have to spend your whole life trying to get
2: back to, to that.
1: Yeah. That's sort of vice for being a human too, isn't it? As we grow older, we put society and then ourselves put lots of layers on us and sort of cover up, maybe with a lot of fear, to yeah. cover up that child that we were, who didn't really care, who was just making something because they wanted to make it, not because yeah. of the end result. Yeah. And that's that's a really hard thing to strip back. I think even Will interviewed Will Anderson. He said that about his comedy that he reckons it's taken him his whole career to realise that his best comedy was back when he yeah. was just starting <laughs> out oh. because he learned overlearned everything. Yeah. Or oh, completely. Yeah,
2: the naivety.
1: Like yeah. when we started,
2: first started making films, we just made them. We didn't realise how difficult it was going to be and you know, how much money it was going to cost. Yeah. <laughs> money, it's the thing, isn't it? I know, yeah. I have the most expensive hobby in the world. You herniate money. Um, <laughs> but you don't. And But then, you know, to be a master at it, you, you, there is a, a training, you know, and it's that 10,000 hours. But then I think what you have to say always comes back to your point of view, what what you want to express and... Mm-hmm. There may be an audience for that, there may not, but it doesn't mean that you're not, mm. you know, you have no right to express yourself. Like, yeah. I, I get angry at people who frown on amateur theatre, for example, or think, well, you you have a band, but you, you never played a gig, so what's the point? It's like, that's, that's not the point. You're not commodity, you know, you're not judged on, you're not given permission to do what you want to do, by your success, you know. Yes, ah, oh, absolutely. You know, you if you want to go and record a podcast with your mate.
1: You fucking should. <laughs> yeah, just bloody get on and do it. Oh gosh, that I reckon that is so true. Because I think that what is why a lot of people stop making mm. stuff. Whatever it is, if it's they were in really into ice skating as a kid or yeah. basketball or they love painting or drawing or yeah. writing or whatever it is, they stop doing it because someone somewhere says to them, Well, it's not good enough to be a job. Yeah. So or you don't have the discipline to do it for ten hours yeah. a day and write an an opus or something. Yeah. So sorry, but that's it. Don't yeah. bother. Whereas actually as human beings I think we're designed to just make stuff yeah. and if it's bad oh well yeah. make another thing yeah it's not about the end process yeah. you know
2: I'd spend yeah. hours in the life room drawing and drawing anatomy is my probably my other favorite thing to do it's very difficult and often you don't get it right but when you do it's really satisfying especially like hands or noses or things that are you know complicated to form and it's through repetition I got better I definitely got better. I mean, I definitely, there was a reason why I went to art school in the beginning. I I had, you know, some talent when I was young, but I definitely got a lot better through repetition. And I think that's sometimes what we think, sometimes what we do is we put a lot of uh, value on things that are work in progress, you know. So... You know the idea of your podcast. It's like, well, we don't know what it what I don't know what it is yet. So just through the act of doing it, you, you discover that, you know. So yeah, I think sometimes just getting up and and this is the hardest way, just doing it every day. At some point, you'll become a master of your art, whatever that is.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice. That's nice to think, isn't mm-hmm. it? But you have to be showing up and doing it for yeah. yourself. I wanted to ask you something you said before that you had to find your point of view or that when you went to art school in Scotland you didn't have that yet mm. or know what you want to say mm. have you nailed what it is that you want to say now what your point of view no. is <laughs> cool okay cool it's not perfect I, excellent <laughs> i wish
2: i wish i wish it was that easy cuz your point of view changes you know i mm. think now i'm much more aware of what stories i want to tell and a lot of it's to do with expressing emotion making people feel Uh, What I was failing at doing or what I didn't know I wanted to do when I was younger and and painting was I wanted to affect people. Mm. So I was just sort of, I was very involved in the function of doing something without really knowing why I wanted to do it. Mm. And I think now I know why I want to do it. I want to make, when we made The Wake and we watched it for the first time at a festival with an audience in America, and there was a big audience at the festival, and we could hear—I could hear them laughing,
0: yeah. and I could hear
2: people crying at the end. It was kind of an emotional ending. And we had people coming up to us afterwards and asking us questions. It was a little seven minutes short. It's a true mm. story. It's you know, it's it's heartfelt. But I didn't expect it to have that kind of impact. And when it did, I realized that was my function. It was my function as an artist was to make people feel something, um, mm. and that was really satisfying. So, I think the way I do that is going to change, and I'll probably you know be successful at it sometimes and fail miserably at it in other times, but that's Mm -hmm. okay because the desire to do it is
1: going to always be there. Yeah. What I loved about The Wake was the fart jokes. (laughs) 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 But then how that juxtaposition, that's my favourite feeling of laugh crying, you know, where it's so funny and then yet also, Charlie's character just yeah. breaks down, and yeah. it, and I think it's that exactly nailed that exact emotion of what it's like to mm. lose someone you love and be at a funeral. It's so insanely funny, mm. and and then you also, feel almost inappropriate for laughing. Yeah, yeah, you do. But then it's also heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I I loved it. I thought it was beautifully shot as well in the way that you use sort of the light. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in your other film too. Ian, I watched um, The Bride oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. What did you want to say with that film?
2: Well, that, look, this is a perfect example of a film that I don't think was successful. We made The Wake and then um, not long afterwards we were like, oh, let's make another film. And I actually wanted to make a genre film. I wanted to, It was going to have a very different ending, but we realised we just didn't have the finance to do it at that time. Mm. So we rewrote it and just made it kind of a bit more of a, a softer ending. I think it I mean it still it still works, but I don't I'm not I don't think it's a good film. Um but it was a good experiment because it what it taught me was not to compromise on that idea. I shouldn't have made that film. I should, uh. I should have picked something that we could do within the means that we had rather than water down, dilute an idea that could have been made at a later date probably better. Mm. But you don't know that at the time. And I think it's really good to just go out and make stuff like uh, most filmmakers have made dozens, hundreds of shorts that, you know, you'll probably never see. Mm. You know, they, the thing is, you don't, it's not about the film sometimes, it's about getting out there, you know, working out coverage, um, learning how to storytell, you know, working with actors. It's all of those skills that you're learning. So mm. um, I think it's really important to make as many projects as you can before you get the opportunity to make your, you know, bigger film. So I just yeah. made a short, like, a couple of uh, months ago, so I'm just finishing off now. I hadn't made one in a long time. Um, but it just reminded me of how much I love doing it, mm. but how much my skills have advanced in the last sort of five years because I'm shooting all the time. Just how much more comfortable I am. And, you know, there's so much just nuances, you know. Mm. Um, so it was interesting for me, just it was a kind of like a good perspective on where I am now to where I was.
1: Yeah. In terms of this, is I have no, I don't know anything about film other than that I like watching it. What What is your favorite kind of way to shoot, or the, te- the from the technical perspective? Mm. Do you have particular equipment that you love, or sort of settings that you love to work yeah. in? What if I, if you could just wake up and be like, I'm Gemily, amazing <laughs> director. I would choose how I want to work today. What, what would you choose? Um, I like to
2: work with a small crew, and I like to be outdoors. Um, I like to be in the real elements. I'm not someone. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Who's ever gravitated to working in studios? Mm. I I don't like things that feel artificial. I gravitate towards real life and nature, and that's kind of how I grew up, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, my commercial work. I've kind of been lucky enough more lately, recently working with some real people.
1: Um, as a not um, casted... Oh, like not actors. Non-professional yeah. actors. Okay, yeah. yep, that makes sense. I was like, oh, do you normally work with cardboard Yes, work? exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Plastic. that makes sense. Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, yeah, I did this campaign for Tasmanian tourism. We went around Tassie and met locals and I loved that because I got a glimpse into their real lives and mm. really enjoyed the experience of that. So, um, yeah, like I probably, you know, there's a, a movement called Dogma that... Um, was a kind of a genre of filmmaking where filmmakers use, they didn't use, um, and I'm going to fuck this up, um, <laughs> they shot everything in camera. Mm. They didn't use sound, sound design or um, soundtracks. They, everything was about sort of pure art of just capturing stuff in the moment. Mm. And there's a film called uh, Festin, uh, called The Celebration, and I saw that um, in the... Late 90s when it came out, I think. And it made me want to be a filmmaker, that film. Because it was so... It's such an incredible story and the performances are incredible, but it was so real and it was so effective. And I remember sitting in a tiny cinema with a very... There was a small amount of people and no one left their seats after the film. Mm. And then everyone was out in the bar afterwards kind of talking about it, like cancelling each other. It was just really, you know, knocks you around the movie. And it made me go, ah, I want to do that. That That's something that's really powerful, you know? Mm. And so I think, so, you know, Lars von Trier and Gus Van Sain, Gus Van Sain, those kind of filmmakers who work in that style really appeal to me because they're, there's something very kind of pure and um, sort of real about their, their filmmaking process. Mm. Um, so I kind of, I probably would gravitate towards that, but uh, I also really appreciate, you know, the filmmakers who... Are able to do incredibly technical setups. Mm. I just, and you know, who are very labor intensive in in their work. Um, Mm. You know, David Lynch, I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, this is, this will be my first feature, hopefully, I'm making soon. So um, until, like you become a parent, you don't know your parenting techniques, no. right?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> so. you, no, no, you just have to do it by do it, and then you learn on the job. Mm. Do you have to? Did you have to do a lot of experimentation with different types of cameras and and that kind of thing? Do you have to know a lot of that technical side of it? Well, look, it depends on what kind of director you are. I mean, there are some directors who are very
2: technical, like James Cameron, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can sort of rely on your team. So your DP. I mean, I have my preference of camera and gear usually and I always have a conversation with my cinematographer about it mm. um, and if we're going for a certain look we'll talk about the lenses we're using but I also really like to trust their eye as well so I usually have a couple of DPs that I work with and I love working with and we have a shorthand with and for instance the DP Simon Oslins who shot The Wake I do a lot of commercials with him mm. and What does DP mean? Director of uh, photography. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> excellent. Just checking. <laughs> yeah. So that relationship's very close and I'll often set a frame, you know, I'll use my viewfinder and set a frame, mm. but often as well I'll trust them to make a decision on lensing. Um, depends on what you're doing in the scene. So I am always part of that process and that's part of your job is to know mm. those things, but you pick it up, you know. Yeah. The music videos was brilliant for us because we went through coming up with the idea to executing it, to going through post, and post is probably one of the one of the things that contribute up the most because, you know, you can definitely make mistakes on set, but often you can figure out ways to kind of stitch it back together in the edit. You know, mm. do ADR or whatever you need to do additional dialogue. Oh, good. Yeah, I was about to be like, what was that? <laughs> okay, cool. So you can get yeah. actors back in, or you can do pickups. But in post, also just with visual effects and color grading and sound design and. You've got all these people for a very short amount of time, and and you you need to get it right. And being having gone through it so many times now, you know it's a process that I feel quite comfortable with, and I'm less fearful of, and I sort of know where what we can do in those with those mm. different people as well, the yeah. people that you're going to kind of collaborate with. Mm. And then it's finding a lot of directors will have their regular. You know, art director or costume designer that they go back to over and over again because that's really part of their signature, becomes part of their
1: style, their look, mm. you know, like Tim Burton, and you know. Um, yeah, way you know. of that, you, you know, as soon as you see in the film, it's that's their style. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like a weird question. If you had to tell someone who hadn't heard about what a director does, mm. what a director does, how would you describe it as a job title? Like, what is their actual job? Problem solving is a big one in the commercial
2: industry. So, but technically what I do is, so you're at the helm of um, storytelling, basically visual storytelling. So uh, you're taking what could be given to you as a script form, perhaps you're writing the script or it's given to you, and you're turning that into pictures and you're finding a way visually to communicate that. And you are working with a team around you to help you achieve Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, you're, As a director, you're probably one of the main decision makers. Um, You often work with a producer too who might be more involved in the business side of things, but Mm -hmm. you quite often collaborate and crossover. But as the director, you're the the one on set basically instructing people how to shoot Mm -hmm. it or you're working with a DOP who, you know, you collaborate again on that. Mm -hmm. Um, You're giving the actors direction. So the actors need to know, often you shoot out of sequence, so you could be shooting a scene that takes place at the end of the movie on the first day of mm-hmm. principal photography so you need to tell the actor where they've come from what they're feeling in that scene you know you need to help them understand mm, what navigate. you need them to do so you you're basically there as as someone who's going to explain to all your different departments what you're doing and what you need and there's a huge process in pre-production where you know that all those conversations happen as well and then there's the rehearsals with the actors and then on set you're there to execute it. And if it's commercial work or music videos, you're there working with an artist or a client. So there's also a part of what you're doing that needs to be translated and communicated to them so they're constantly aware of what you're doing, what you're setting up for next or mm. why you're doing you know, take again, what you're looking for. So you're kind of always narrating that. Mm. And then when on, on films, um, yeah, you're very much trying to get people to believe in your vision you're trying to get people to come on board and help you make this thing and bring their expertise and skills. So mm. it's, um, it's leadership. It's definitely yeah. leadership. And I operate from a point of view that you should be always very respectful. I know there's other people who behave differently on set and I've heard stories about the way directors conduct themselves. And mm. But on my sets, I really encourage people to come and talk to me even if they're, you know, there, there, there is a bit of a hierarchy and I can understand why because you do need to be somewhat insulated from all the noise and the confusion because you need to be very focused, mm-hmm. especially on performance, because if your performance isn't solid, if you're distracted, that can let down the whole film and all of these people's work is a you know, compromise. Yeah. But I also don't believe in the fact that just because you're a runner, you know, someone who's sort of lower in down the ranks, yeah, um, that you shouldn't, you know, be treated well or speak to the director or, you know, I like to have a quite a calm... Set where people just feel respected and they feel collaborative and things. And I think that is one of the reasons why I've been really lucky to keep getting work and keep getting invited back by clients the moment I'm doing a job which for a client, and this is my fourth round
1: with them, coming back and working with them. So I think that, you know, people see that. Mm, Speaks volumes. Mm. Absolutely, Absolutely. It's so interesting to me that it's such a male-dominated industry when, I mean, I've worked predominantly in teaching, which is very collaborative and yeah. very female mm. generally, and women are so great in general at multitasking, at collaborating, mm. at listening to mm. ideas, but also getting things done, like, yeah. you know, getting stuff done. And that's a generalisation, but in my experience we are. I think our gender as a whole, this is a very, very big generalisation, would be perfectly suited to that kind of job. It yeah. makes zero sense. Yeah, you're right. That it's mostly blokes yeah. to me. I just, and I don't think you need to be an arsehole, for want of a better word, to do that job, mm. right? Well, it's interestingly, a
2: lot of male, men are directors and a lot of women are producers because mm. producers get shit done and yeah. when the director falls apart because the couch is blue and not red and they really wanted a red couch. The producer's the one going, okay, guys, let's see if we can get a red couch. We can't. We just need to keep
1: moving. (laughs) Yeah, because there's time and money and things need to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: And I've noticed it, especially in the commercial industry, I've noticed it just like director, man, man, female producer. Um, And I think it's because of that. Women are nurturing. um, They're able to multitask, like you said, and – Somewhat more um, open, I think, just with able to uh, sort of approachable
1: in that sort of mm. problem solving. A bit maybe you know. a little bit less rigid, or mm. I think often we're thinking a lot of steps ahead too. Mm-hmm. Not and guys can too, obviously. But mm. I think it's just better. You might not better different. Different, and, yeah. it's different. I know exceptions
2: to this. You know, my husband being one who's very sensitive and very emotionally intuitive. Mm. But I think we we kind of maybe pick up on cues maybe. Mm. Little cues, a little more emotional cues. Yeah, and I find one of the things I do the most probably is one of the key things to my role is reading people, like reading body language, especially in meetings, finding out because people can get very um, frustrated if they can't communicate something to you, or they can get very uncomfortable if you're pushing them in a direction that they don't want to go in, especially when there's a lot of money involved Mm -hmm. and a lot of people's you know reputation or jobs. So you get very quick at being able to read someone when you're not hearing them or when you need to um, take a different tack or approach mm. to helping them communicate what they want to you. Mm. So, and I think that's innately female, I think. Yeah, I would
1: 100% agree with that. Um, this is a bit of a different tack now. I wanted to ask you what it's like to work with your partner, right. like, in, like live and work and do all the things. How do you find that? Working with Charlie, I can't imagine not working with my partner.
2: Um, I get we get asked this a lot, and people say it almost they're so surprised. They're like, "How can you work together?" I mean, I would we would tear each other apart. And personally speaking, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone I couldn't have that creative collaboration with because it's such a big part of my life. Look, maybe it wouldn't work for other people. Maybe it would, and you you just haven't found the right way of working together. I don't know. But I can only speak from my own experience. Like, I I love his brain. I love the way that we workshop ideas and come up with things together. And, you know, today I asked him to come into my sound mix because he hasn't seen, he hasn't heard any of the sound design that's being done. And I wanted to watch his reaction and see, because I trust him implicitly and his tastes and his opinion. I'll, I'll definitely di- disagree with him <laughs> when they, you know, it doesn't feel right for me. But I wanted to see his response because I really measure my. Self against that. And he's fantastically intelligent, and I trust him to make decisions. So, and when we were working together as producer, director, and he was making music videos, if I wasn't around, I trust him to make a creative decision for me. Funnily enough, often when we went into post houses, if they hadn't met me before, they would direct their conversation oh, towards that's him at interesting. first. Interesting. Yeah. And he'd be like, she's the director.
1: Yeah. <laughs> not me. Yeah.
2: Wow. Um, that's interesting. We have a very similar taste. That's what kind of uh, attracted. Each yeah. uh, us to each yeah, other at the beginning. the beginning. Our love of Michael Keaton. Um,
1: <laughs> I love him too. I get oh,
2: it. I do. Yeah, we cool. wanted to like reboot his career. He doesn't fucking need it now. No, I mean, no. After no. um, yeah, after his 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 comeback. Um, but I wanted we wanted to make a film with him, and we, we we talked about it a lot. Um, so that but it's little um things like that. But uh, creatively we are a team, and when we work together on set. We don't act like husband and wife or boyfriend. Yeah. We're very respectful. Um, we very rarely bicker. You know, as couples can bicker. We yeah. probably have – we would probably bicker a little bit more at home than we would ever do on set even mm. though we, we don't yeah. argue too much. And we're very respectful for, of each other and I love being a part of a creative team. Even if we weren't a married couple and we just met and worked as a creative team, we probably would still be working together. So – you know, he is, I think, a really brilliant writer and will go on to write other projects without me being involved. Um, and I'll go on to make films without him. And um, we've got our own projects and we've, we've got projects that we work on together, but it works and we, you know, both, I think, benefit from it. And I think I've helped him embrace his artist self. I don't think before we met he saw himself as an artist. Mm-hmm. I think I've helped him see that, recognise that, and also prioritise it. I'm so, I mean, to, that now we've just got a, a shared office space and he's going there every day and writing and it's so exciting to see because when we met 15 years ago or something, he was so afraid to do that, you know, afraid to call himself a writer and now he's doing it every day. It's so exciting. And yeah. um, and then for me, he's just had so much uh, belief in me and he's helped me so at so many times in my career where I've been struggling to write something or get something out down a paper or, or know the right angle to take or where to take it, you know, he just helps me workshop it and, you know, it doesn't ever force me into to making decisions, but will just spend the time with me to figure it out. So mm-hmm. I think that's essential in the creative team, you know, and yeah. you both bring your skill set to it and balance each other out Yeah, you, like you guys.
1: Yeah, it's the best. Like We get the same question a lot. Mm. How do you do it? How do you work together? Oh, God. And people have these like faces on. Mm. And to me... It's, I mean, touch wood, but it's the best way to work because it's all in the mix. Your work is also your life and it's shared and collaborative and I implicitly trust his instincts Mm. and Mm. mutually supportive. And Mm -hmm. so you've got someone else that sort of works in tune with your brain to feed back ideas and... Mm. Yeah, I, we we um, have loved it. It's mm. been so great. And I'm sure it doesn't always work for everybody too and people are different. But, yeah, we've really, really enjoyed it so far. So Yeah, good. and,
2: I mean, we talk about you guys a lot because oh. we hold you up as kind of an example of you oh. know, a couple who have managed to, you know, you've given up your day jobs, which is phenomenal. Well, you've yeah. turned this into your day job.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah,
2: and that's a huge achievement.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. It really oh, is. Wow, thank you so much. That's so. See, I look up you guys because I do so much of the business side of it, but I'm only starting to actually create stuff of my own. So I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm trying. Exactly, yeah. I'm starting, and so I really admire you and and Charlie as well because you're creating and writing mm. and producing. So isn't mm. it funny how you can look at other people and mm. Sort of wish or admire their sort of way of doing things, and you don't know how they're thinking about you. It's yeah. really interesting. Well, yeah. every
2: great movement in art has always come from like-minded people banding together and forging forward. You know, and yeah. I kind of feel like we're sort of part of that wave in Australia. There is a lot of content creators, you mm. know, artists, and you know, even like James Fosdyke, you know, illustrator the oh, works he's with, brilliant, with yeah. boys. Like, you know, what he's brought to them um, in the form of his artwork and his skill set has been incredible and you know now they're looking at you know they've created a comic strip together and they're creating content now together and that's what I kind of think about creativity you know is you know you, you sometimes feel like you know you make it in a bubble you make it on your own and then when it's ready you share it with people and mm. I just think that's a mistake I think it should just be something that you're constantly sharing and uh, so collaborating with other people in whatever form, like doing something like this, mm. where, you, where even just for me getting to talk about my, me and my process is making me
1: kind of much more aware of it, you know? Yes, yeah, like more analytical and reflecting conscious, on it. Just, yeah, conscious. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where, you know, I
2: I really hope in Australia, this is what my hope is right now, is that, that the funding bodies become a little bit more accessible to filmmakers at a lower Um, level. So Mm. some more micro budgets, you know, with streaming channels, you know, like Stan and Netflix, I just hope that there's more access for filmmakers um, to make low budget work and get into the industry because the more voices we have in it, the more inspiration, you know, the more stories will be being told and the more you have a flourishing industry and more work for actors and, you know, Mm. crew. And so you know, I feel like we're on the, I really feel like the ball is back in the court of the creators at the moment because mm. with content, people desperately need content. There's an insatiable need for content, you know. The stuff I'm making for, for the advertising industry, you know, we're making digital, we're making TV, we're, you know, there's just so much content mm. that I think if you're able to create that content, you know, write it, film it, whatever, um, then people are going to need you in a way that maybe wasn't as, there's,
1: there wasn't as much of it, really, wasn't as much right? Of it, thank oh, you. Yeah. yeah. it just wasn't. They didn't need you in the same way, like because there was only one or two platforms. Like there well, might just be TV. Or exactly. You could radio. just go to a
2: creative agency, and you could get you know your creative agency to write. You know, you had your, your creative writer, mm. copywriter to do that. But it's now, well, how do you make something that's engaging for five minutes online? You know, mm. and and you can't just give that to a couple of guys who sit in an office and they've got a bunch of other projects going on, you know, you go out and you find a really interesting voice, you know, a documentary filmmaker or, you know, a kid who's, you know, wants to make something about something meaningful to them. Mm. And, you know, you give give them a shot because that's going to make engaging content um, mm. that draws an audience in. And I guess it goes back to the idea of that being more, a bit more pure and a bit more honest, the kind of um, content you're making. It's even affecting me now where I'm... I think, well, I can make something for pure entertainment's sake. Or our film, Blackwood, is it's a genre film and it's entertaining and it's, you know, that's its 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 It's aim but its purpose. But it's about climate change and it's about a time when Australia is being affected by climate by climate Climate change, change. which is on our doorstep. So, you know, we get to have our point of view and we do get to talk about and discuss topics that are are interesting to us, you Mm. know, still in that kind of media entertainment kind of um, form
1: definitely and also having like a female protagonist a strong mm. female protagonist I do gravitate towards um, female protagonists
2: um female stories I do feel like there's a bit of a responsibility and an authenticity of me telling those stories because obviously i I love your voice comes through the characters mm. um Charlie has been predominantly the writer on this so you know he's been learning a lot about teenage girls through my experiences. <laughs>
1: Actually, I meant to ask Tali about that. It's interesting writing a story from a teenage girl's perspective. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And a lot
2: of it's you telling stories to each other. Interestingly, I've got a television show in development as well about women in music industry oh, in the 1980s. Yeah, that
1: would have been amazing. Yeah, been so we're, cool we're writing that at the moment, We're
2: writing the pilot, and oh, cool. we had a bit of development money for that. So we've been I'm working with a different team on that one. But we got six women together to do our writer's room. Um, we flew in a, an amazing woman Patricia Resnick who wrote the Dolly Parton film 9 to 5 ah oh, wow uh, she's they're doing a sequel to it at the moment actually and she also worked on Mad Men and anyway she helped she came into the writers room and helped us sort of break the pilot episode and i learned a lot i i never sat in the writers room before so i learned a lot about that process but most of it was these women just telling stories and us relating to things and sharing kind of war stories and to be in a room full of six really intelligent women who were really creative and had really interesting opinions was a, u- a really unique experience and something I'd never experienced before. I work mainly with men mm. and to have that many female creators around me was wonderful and I came away from it just, it was like therapy. Came mm. back, back from it really charged, really inspired and really kind of hearing other people's kind of, we were talking about, because when we were building the story ideas and the characters kind of arc and details we were sharing stories about you know times where we had experienced sexual harassment or you know had uncomfortable situations some very uncomfortable some people who were sharing them and afterwards we were like wow that was like a group therapy session <laughs> you know yeah. and suddenly you feel like fuck wow like we've all gone through these very similar experiences different stages of our lives different generations as well yeah um and that's why i think it's so important that we tell more women's stories, and mm. we have more women involved in telling those stories mm. because there's an authenticity and a necessity and a kind of somewhat, you know, cathartic experience that can come out of it. And I think it's starting to happen now with, you know, much more female-driven content. content. But I have noticed, I mean, they did Jessica Jones um, last season brought on all-female directors, mm. which is really fucking bold and awesome, mm. and, but I've still noticed of, of quite a few projects being made where it's about women, but you still have a male director at the helm. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, and male and men directors deserve to work as much as we do. (laughs) I'm not trying to take the work away from them. But I think, you know, we we should be making a concerted effort to make sure women have a really strong voice in our industry Mm. and not just rely on, well, he's done it before, you know, it's safe. We should go down, you know, a safe path with this. It's like, well, no, it's, it's time for a change. And yeah, make a con- make a make a conscious effort for it to shift, and and it yeah. will.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I actually, I've been talking about this a lot with other friends of mine. I feel like in the last few years that I've stepped through the looking glass, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you've had this experience or whether you've always been very strong in terms of your feminist perspective. But I did not realise how much things weren't equal for us in lots of industries until very recently, mm-hmm. and the way that we're represented in film and mm-hmm. books and and art. As mm-hmm. I know, Hannah Gatsby talks about that in her mm-hmm. Netflix special yeah. about how women are all uh, painted from a male, male perspe- gaze. A male gaze, yeah. like for. All of time, yep. and we're always nude and half falling yep. over, or like very stiff or very haggard, or you know. And yep. I and suddenly I've seen that in film as well. That yep. the strong female characters, even that I quite admired growing up, I suddenly look at with this fresh lens mm. and I'm not enjoying things that I thought mm. I would. Even the West Wing, I watched the first season <laughs> of that and was a bit like, Oh my god, there's a lot of sexual harassment yeah. in this. Are you have is that a new experience for you as well, or have you always? That or? I think I've become more acutely aware of it. I've always seen it and,
2: you know, I've always, my mum's quite a feminist and I was always brought up with the idea that, you know, it was, things weren't equal um, and that we should challenge that. I was, I've was i become more acutely aware of it now and I've become more responsible as well because, you know, the, the violence towards women on screen is something that is a theme that keeps coming up in my life because often I'm, I'm sent projects, I read projects, or, you know, I've been asked to work on projects where there is violence towards women. And that's something where, you know, I have to wrestle with myself. It's like, well, what, where, where's the line in the sand for me? What's, what am I prepared to show and not show? And yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting, it's an interesting time, but I feel like it's, it's a seed that's been growing for a while and, mm. The Me Too movement is so necessary and, and mm. long overdue, but it's almost like in the 70s with the women's liberation. You know, it's a, a flame that gets fanned and it grows and it grows and it grows and you can never go back now. Mm. And I feel like, you know, it's the start of this much bigger adjustment that's going to happen, you know, with gender roles. Mm. And it's just the very beginning of of something pretty significant that's going to happen, I hope. I do too, yeah. And I think it'll start when, you know, we get our first female prime minister who can stay in power. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or yeah. know, a woman yeah. president of the, US, the United States. The States. We're seeing it everywhere else, you know. I, I see Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think there'll always be a struggle for, for women, you know, in terms of um, getting their voices heard and working in the patriar- patriarchal system. Society, yeah. But I think that it's, you know, the younger generation feel less acutely aware of their
1: the limitations, I would hope. Mm. And I think their gender, I think that there's totally. a, a movement about just sort of your gender isn't yeah. sort of fixed. Binary, and yeah. Binary, exactly, oh, yeah. and it's a bit more fluid, your sexuality is more yeah. fluid and in that women are sort of free to just be who they are and if they're more feminine, more feminine, mm-hmm. if they're masculine, more masculine, you know, it's a whole Spectrum and mm. boys as well. I think yeah, I've watched the younger generation. My brother is 24 even and his friendship group and the guys are just so much more in tune with themselves and yeah. sensitive and, yeah, yeah, you know, there's yeah. less of that toxic masculinity coming yep. through and obviously that's still an element and that's there mm. but it's definitely not as as dominant as I think it used yeah, to be. Yeah,
2: and, I mean, we're, we're, I mean we're, we live in cities and we're, you know... This is very true, quite, yeah. You know, we're educated and have access to information in a way that, you know, is probably changing us in a rate that may not be affecting the wider mm. w- world. And to me, the biggest issue I have really is is violence at home with women and mm. the way uh, the project I was attached to that didn't end up um, being made was about that, um, about domestic violence, and I did a lot of research on it. And I found that family violence and violence towards women is at such a high rate. I was so shocked and I was so um, disturbed and would often go to to sleep at night after been reading articles, watching documentaries, quite sick, feeling very sick and um, inadequate. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we still need to address. Obviously workplace issues, yes, um, but it's much easier for women to address those issues now with HR and Mm. the issues at home and the sexism at home. And sexism leads symptomatic of, you know, Uh, attitudes towards women and so is violence towards women and I think at the core of these things it's how we are educating you know young men Mm. um, and also women as well to be able to share those experiences a lot of women I interviewed and spoke to have just had shared their experiences maybe with girlfriends but would weren't comfortable talking to other men or other male friends and You know, there's a lot of shame. and Anyway, this is not what I came on to talk about. No, but it's so important. It's
1: hugely important.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, in Australia that's a huge shift that still needs to happen. And the good thing about our industry and the Me Too movement is that it's bringing a voice to it. Mm -hmm. But then how we affect change and how we implement education, you know, and Mm. tools and things like that, you know, they need to come into mm. you know that that these things need to be implemented in a way that's you know
1: yeah. effective. Definitely. What's your attitude now towards um, violence against women in film? Do you do you think that that has an impact on the way that men treat women in real life? In the-
2: oh, look, you know, there's a fantasy element to watching a film. It's escapism. You know, you know, you should be able to watch things that you are never going to do in your real life. You mm. know, there, there's thrill. There's a thrill factor and. But I
1: kind of feel like there needs to be a point to it, you know, like, you know. Yeah. If, like is it educational or is it is it important well, to the story? Or? If you're
2: showing there's a character has been through something immeasurably hard and then they come back from it, you know, there's a strength that comes from it then perhaps, you know, there's, there's a reason for it. Mm. Uh, if it's just about titillation, then, you know, I'm probably less inclined to endorse it now. Mm. I think, you know, you look back at some of the films that were made in, you know, the 80s, fine mm. films, you know, and it's... <laughs> You can kind of say, well, that was a time when it was sort of, you know, people weren't as aware of, of perhaps the effect it could have now. Mm. But it's hard to say. It's, it's a complicated issue and, you know, mm. I'm still sort of – I probably won't know until i put it forced into a situation which makes me feel uncomfortable exactly where the line in the sand is for me. Yeah. But I definitely want to be someone who promotes strong women on film and Mm. strong female characters that are flawed as well as, you know, heroes. So Mm. I think that's the most interesting thing to me. When I saw Girls, for example, I was blown away by how real those characters were. Oh, my
1: gosh. I know. I knew so many women like that. You did, yeah. But then you were like –
2: why haven't I seen this on screen before? You know, and then you look yeah. at Sex in the City and you're like, oh my god! <laughs> you know? I know <laughs> it was, but it was it was the same as um, Wonder Woman. That the setup of Wonder Woman with the warriors, you know, the Amazon. Oh, I loved
1: yeah um, fighting. Oh, yeah. I was like,
2: there was a little part of me that went, oh maybe maybe I, I could have I done that. Maybe I could have you know been a stunt woman or. Um, be the warrior. Like there was part of me that just went. I've never seen women fight like that. Yeah. And these yeah. Co- great choreographed fight sequences that were shot really cool, and the women were strong and biceps. And I was like, if I have a little girl, I want her to see that. I want her to yeah. think I can be that strong. I can defend myself. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Not look look to women going. Well, I've got to be pretty. I've got to be dainty. I've got to mm. you know. I've got to be um, sweet. I've you know. I've got to tailor myself to something that a a man won't be threatened by exactly. You
1: know, I want? I want to kick his ass. Yeah, I want to make myself <laughs> larger, not smaller. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. I think I've come to the realization this year, and watching Wonder Woman was part of it. And just you know, even Reese Witherspoon and what she's doing for film, for yes. the film industry, for women, and oh. Just even Robin Wright's character and even her character in House of Cards Mm -hmm. as well. Mm. You know, you just want to make yourself larger, not necessarily like I want to become the size of a house, but I just spent so much of my childhood and even teenagehood and early 20s wanting to be smaller. Like if I could only be this size, then I would be, that. that's the ideal. The the whole
2: idea of starving yourself, becoming thinner Mm -hmm. and to fit a certain model and you meet these girls who have very little brain function because they're hungry. Yes. <laughs> you know? oh, my God. Or yeah. <laughs> their voices get higher because they're afraid of expressing themselves. Like it drives me mental because I'm yeah. like, you are disappearing. You you know that, and you probably know this fact, but if every woman in the world stopped buying beauty products for one day, the global economy would collapse. No. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. We're, we're sold to, on such a ferocious level, that this idea that's implanted in your brain very early on is that you're not good enough, but so you'll buy a shitload of product that you don't need to try and make yourself feel whole again, you know. It's it's plugging a big hole that, you know, you're not getting fulfilled from something else. And Mm. you're not fulfilled because you're not... I'm not not saying that people who take care in their appearance are, uh, you know, superficial or, you Mm. know, it's a bad thing. You know, I like putting on a frock as well and putting makeup on, you know, I enjoy that, but... I place a lot less importance on it now than I used mm, to. And, and interestingly, when I find myself on set and I'm covered in dirt and, you know, I've been working all day and the last thing I think about is looking in the mirror or, or what I look like because I'm so, you know, I'm giving – it's coming out of me rather than being, you know, you know the yeah. value being placed on me. Yes, yeah. And um, I think that's the thing is if, you know, it's your priorities, it's where – and it's not our fault, you know. It's like if you keep women distracted enough with hating each other and hating themselves, then they won't realise their power and yes. they won't realise that we secretly, you know, well, not so secretly, you know, we we uh, definitely could run the world a lot better. Oh,
1: cool. oh, my God, I could talk about this with you forever, but I completely agree. I think that's such a great place you know, to finish. Yeah. One last
2: thing, though, about teaching because um, I grew up with, you know, my parents both taught and mm. I think it's so important. Um, and we were talking about your student who became
1: interns
2: in yeah. Matilda, which is amazing and the encouragement you gave her. Mm. I think it's so important. Um when after Afghanistan and um, they were sending in aid money to help rebuild the country, when they gave it to the men, the men would buy guns. And when, when they gave it to the women, the women would build schools. Mm. You know, and I think that's something to remember is that, you know, we Yeah, we can talk about making change and we can sort of yell about it and we can complain about it. But, you know, the way we educate our young girls and teach children to behave will be the thing that will, you know, hopefully change things.
1: Oh, I knew I could cry. (laughs) <laughs> you say saying that, but I, I couldn't agree more. I think that was was why we did that Care Australia campaign yeah. for women and children because it is, if you support women, you educate women. Mm. All of the research shows that the entire community is lifted. Mm. Everyone is better off mm. because we have, yeah, just that mindset, that global, mm. at sort of outward-reaching mm. mindset. That yeah, exactly. Less about guns, more about schools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Okay. Well, women will just take over the world, generally. The future is female. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah. Like
2: the future just just needs to be I I love my husband and don't want to live in a world where I don't have a male equal, you know. No. Um yeah. but I think it's definitely about women feeling like they are safe, you know, and can be heard and have a right to tell, you know, their stories or, mm. you know, do the the jobs that they want to do without it being compromised constantly, you know, take up space. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Have a voice. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're welcome.
1: Yeah. It was being, we could talk ages. It was yeah, I'd love so to. great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'll have to have you on again after yeah. after the film's made, baby. Oh, look, but, you know what? <laughs> if I come back here having made a film, it
2: would be a huge win for me. So i would love to. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd, Yes, that's a lovely thought to...
1: Yes, on. let's do that. Let's definitely, I'll, and I'll have to come and watch it. I'll, I'll You will. You'll definitely you can have come a on set. <gasps> really? We'll be shooting, oh. shooting in Victoria. Oh, my God. Come and do a podcast from set. Oh, my God, I would love that. Yeah. I will hold you to that. Yeah, Okay, certainly. you've heard it. It's on a yeah. podcast now. Yes. record it, <laughs> I will be there, definitely. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. That's it, you've been listening to a podcast with me, Claire Tonty, and today with Gemma Lee. You can find more from Gemma at her website, Gemma Lee, that's And you can also follow her on Instagram at iona island You can follow me on Instagram at Claire Tonty uh, for more interviews and stories and updates on this podcast. And you can also subscribe, that would be amazing in iTunes. Um, And give us a rating and a review. We would love to to get that. Um, You can also find more podcasts just like this one, including Charlie Clawson and Will Anderson's Toe um, on planetbroadcasting.com. Thank you to everybody who donated to our Care Australia charity campaign. It is finished. And we raised a whopping $47,456.23 for women and girls living all over the world in difficult circumstances. Thank you so very much. Um, it'll make such a difference in the lives of those women and girls. When we empower women, we raise up whole communities and improve the lives of children everywhere as well. So again, amazing i get emotional talking about all this kind of stuff but it really makes um so much difference i think in so many people's lives when we reach out even if it's as simple as a dollar um to contribute to making the world better um so thank you everybody okay if you're someone out there who has a project who wants to get started Gemma's advice about just doing and not thinking i think is the best thing to do. So just do and worry about whether it's good later. That's it from me. Have a great week and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.